Welcome to the Age of Audio. My name's Graham Brown from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. The Age of Audio is a series of conversations with thought leaders and changemakers in the world of audio. That's podcast, radio, and social audio converging with big data to create engaging and authentic content for a new generation of listeners. Right, Ollie, uh, let's talk about podcasts and maybe we can start with journalism itself. Your background, you are a trained journalist, as I understand, like for yes. many years being a reporter. Um, what do you see the sync between uh, podcasts and journalism? Is it, is it a natural fit? What are you seeing people are doing with podcasts in that space now? And what's interesting? Well, I think that it's, first of all, podcasting is a direct descendant of blogging and that sort of whole ethos of do-it-yourself, which always was a problem for journalists. Like, they didn't know what to do with blogging at first. It was like, mm. the, the blogging is something that amateurs do. It's not something that professionals, trained journalists do. And it took a good long while for blogging to be integrated into, you know, traditional journalism in a way, but it got mm. there. And I think that podcasting is sort of like the same thing at first it seems like an upstart thing that the others are doing like they aren't following our norms and our professional ethos and ways of doing things and that's why there was a bit of a mismatch at first for for many organizations but once you get the hang of it like once you see the strengths and you start to understand for example what are the differences between doing fm radio you know just you're sort of narrated non-edited radio journalism which is much of what happens in finland and also like uh, what's the relationship between the written word and spoken word like you know oral traditions are different oral storytelling is different then i think that journalists and i do think that it's mostly just like you know singular people more than organizations at least more than legacy organizations that realize that you know creating a podcast and finding an audience and keeping an audience is a really really powerful way I mean, that's that's something that is really hard to do in, in any other medium because the audience relationship is so different and the way you relate to those people is so different. So that's where the journalists uh, or the journalism that I think of as being the most interesting thing in, in podcasting mm. is, is sort of looking. Has that translated well? So have you seen successful journalists translate well into successful podcasts? Um, if I look at it from just, you know, strictly a Finnish point of view in this year, in 2021, I don't think there are that many strong contenders there. There are a few, and interestingly enough, I think the Finnish examples are mostly radio journalists. So that also tells you something about, like, they have the, they have the organizational clout to do something in traditional broadcasting, but still they find the need and, and they find some success in creating a podcast specifically like something that is distributed on demand digitally that is not constrained by whatever traditional constraints on form or shape or something else you have in there so there are a few of those yet again i mean if i look at it from a very finished perspective that many of the most interesting podcasters are still coming from outside the traditional circles also that is something that the Finnish journalistic organizations, the bigger and, and the smaller ones, are struggling with. I mean, partly mm. because of money, partly maybe because of skills. But mm, yeah, I don't see any like super strong uh, successes here in that direction yet. Mm. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, obviously. Well, I imagine you absorb a lot from outside, right? Yeah. I mean, the level of English in Finland is pretty high. 
And, you know, it's it's a, a market that always has traditionally been outwardly focused, hasn't it? So the kind of stuff that's popular in Finland at the moment, what was the sort of balance between local and foreign content? There are no hot numbers, obviously, because we don't have a national mm. level tracker. But I'd say that the uh, interest in interest in Finnish language content is growing constantly. And I mean, that's sort of natural if you think about it, that at first you hear the big American shows, maybe some of the UK shows, but like you have basically English language content that is not in our native Finnish. And then you get the first Finnish upstarts, they get a lot of interest. And and by now we're at that point where if you look at sort of like the Spotify top charts or the Apple podcast charts, you'll see a bunch of uh, sort of lifestyle content in there. Uh, you'll see a bunch of true crime content in there, all Finnish shows. Hmm. And it's not like there's a lack of those shows in English. So I suppose that many of the uh, previously popular genre shows that were in English are now, you know, replaced by those Finnish ones in, in for example, in those genres. So I guess that the total pie of listening, if you were to look at it, it must be mostly Finnish because like mm, if you even though yeah people do speak English but there's always been a clamor for Finnish stories and and just like you know stories that are in Finnish even if they maybe they are slightly clumsier or the production values aren't so high but still there's something that connects really strongly if you use your mother tongue your native tongue mm. so it must be over 50-50 for Finnish content off the top of my head like you know don't <laughs> Don't hold me to this. Uh, it's not a real number, but I might guess that we're at something like eighty twenty or even ninety ten. You know, Finnish mm. slash other languages. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a good sign, isn't it? Mm. And if we, you know, we chatted about this before. If when we last spoke, is if we were to go back twenty years in Finland, you know, it's a very different world, and yet Finland was really in the ascendance with Nokia. And you know everybody that came from Nokia had all the Nokia alumni who started content services, and then Finland, and then later Sweden became very much at the heart of driving content in Europe and both globally as well. Um, some of those brands are still around, so really Finland was at the you know in the driving seat of a, a communications revolution. Is, is there? aspects of that that is sort of repeating itself or is this different this time because i'm seeing for example in different markets lots of young people picking up uh podcasts and that, that's always quite encouraging because you know the the north european countries are always quite advanced when it came to young people and texting 20 years mm. ago what are you seeing in finland are you seeing a lot of young people like creating podcasts are you seeing anything on the business side outside of content itself are people creating interesting apps or products around it well at least if you look at the uh, podcast listening studies from finland it is still heavily skewered towards young adults so like you know hmm. maybe they're 18 to 30 35s like they're the consumption or you know familiarity with podcasts and listens to podcasts steadily that's way over 50 percent. I, i guess sort of depending on the study you look at it it's it's at 60 or more Um, so so definitely they're still there. So we don't have that sort of nice bell curve where each uh, segment listens to podcasts, you know, as much as they do. So still uh, skewers young. And then on the sort of the production side, and especially the means of production side, uh, if you were to look at it from a Marxist perspective, I mean, I've often wondered about the reasons why Sweden seems to be just a few steps ahead of us. That's happened in in many other respects, like 
there was this thing that people said in the early orders that you know, you know digital advertising Sweden is like two years ahead of us so what whatever is happening in Sweden now will be happening in Finland in a couple of years you just you know looking the, the at the distribution of money towards internet advertising versus traditional advertising so and something similar seemed to happen with podcasts like we've had the sort of the national video on demand and audio on demand service uh, Ule Arena sort of like BBC's iPlayer. Uh, we've had that for years. So like we've had the technology, we've had the smartphones, we've had cheap mobile data. Like there, basically there's nothing on the technology side that would have stopped a bunch of Finnish content creators from you know creating their own shows and becoming huge. But for whatever reason, it seems like the Swedes were, yet again, a couple of steps ahead of us. And now we've, uh, I don't know if we've caught up to them, but at least we are up to speed right now. And... I guess that, like, I don't see any huge differences in trends either on the consumption side or the production side. If we're sort of looking at Western Europe slash the Americas, uh, one big contributing factor is that the fact that we do have a, you know, there's a public broadcasting corporation in Finland that creates some mm. sort of shows. So the so the niches that are available are different from, say, the US. They may be more similar to what happens in the UK in that respect. So that's maybe why true crime and, and a lifestyle podcast and that kind of things have popped up because some of the sort of like the you know your uh more artsy cultural needs are maybe better filled by our our national broadcasting company but on the other hand on the if i'm thinking about uh if there are any innovations i mean there was a finnish a startup that did short form audio a couple of years ago uh it wasn't like tiktok but now that no no i, I mean it wasn't like clubhouse but now that clubhouse mm. is a thing here as well at least it's it's talked about uh the, the founder i i know him like he's had some interesting thoughts about like whether they basically had the right idea but their go-to-market timing was off or something like that like mm. is there still a need for that kind of thing but maybe mm. they were still trying to compete with the traditional podcast audio on demand you know, players in the market. And that's why they sort of failed. So th- there have been a few tries but like that, but nothing big thus far. Obviously, like once once we hit stop on this, there will, you know, there will be news of some huge funding round of a new innovative groundbreaking so finish audio. Exactly. <laughs> and so I, I look like a fool. And but that, you're held to account for exactly, your exactly. opinions. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, one of the things I'm interested in is how people use podcasts or any kind of democratized medium to tell stories and in particular journalism is a type of that Um, any kind of reporting is storytelling really isn't it in some form and then when you even if you look at history like the printing press enabled the production of cheap publications you know the first books that were published were chap books which were penny books right Mm. and that gave everybody the ability to well not everybody but a lot of people the ability to have a voice and then you know kind of what changed wasn't just the fact that everybody now had a voice that ushered in that welcomed in democracy that welcomed in the reformation and all that sort of like um age of of enlightenment that came with it so it wasn't just the fact that everybody had a voice it was the fact now everybody was exposed to new ideas and this concept that everybody has an opinion that counts so hence democracy came later on and i'm wondering you know as a journalist how you're seeing podcasting do you think it has a role to play in this that it's giving a platform for ideas both good and bad and giving people in society a voice that 
probably didn't have one, which traditionally would have been a journalist, right? But now everybody has a voice um, to express. Well, what do you see? I mean, it's because normally I see like the North Europeans are quite advanced in this sort of space. They're quite sort of liberal thinkers and progressive. Is, is there anything of interest happening in North Europe that we should pay attention to, the way people are using podcasts and what you think it will develop into? Well, I think that there are at least two uh, perspectives that you can look at it from. So so one is the fact that, yeah, you know, uh, the means of production, yet again, they have become way cheaper. And basically now uh, most middle class, even working class people do have access to them. So it becomes a question of skill and, you know, charisma and all that. So like, mm, and, and one thing that is happening there is that oral skills, oral storytelling skills are different from written storytelling skills. So there are people who maybe would even... If they try to, you know, express themselves in in written language, they might seem or sound silly in some ways, but they might be really, really powerful storytellers. Like it doesn't really matter what they're talking about, but just like their control of the spoken word, their mastery of spoken word is so good that you know podcasting is a great fit for that. So that's one thing that's happening, and and that is definitely. Uh, I mean, there's some sort of social strata happening in the background there. Maybe it's a class thing, maybe it's an educational thing, but definitely that's enabling. The kinds of people who maybe didn't have a voice before to actually, you know, speak out loud, and but then the whole are they being heard? Well, that's a different question, and that that belongs to aggregators and discovery and all that. But that's one thing. So spoken versus written word, and the other thing that is is kind of interesting is that we see in Finland maybe the similar kind of thing that is happening in the U.S. but on a way smaller scale. That traditionally underrepresented voices seem to have found a good foothold in in podcasting. So, I mean, we don't have a dirtbag left of our own, but there are a few popular, like rather leftist podcasts. Um, there are a few shows run by you know BIPOC people who traditionally would have been a very sort of you know you've you've got a token role. Maybe you'll get a show on Ule, or a couple of people will be on the air there, but but like underrepresented people, minorities, they're there's something brewing there and i don't like mm. it's it's an interesting question of whether it's the medium podcasts audio on demand or whether it's sort of uh, just a happy coincidence of the changing times and like societal pressures and acceptance and then the medium that seems to be ascendant right now is audio because like you know whenever a new medium comes along or a new service that gets popular a social media service then there's the gold rush like before the most popular m- most popular spots have been sort of taken and and before the the status quo has really cemented itself in it it's possible to start from zero and to actually grow a pretty significant following but like you know the older the service gets the older the medium gets then the harder yeah. it'll be to just break in so that's maybe one thing why you know podcasts haven't been such a huge thing so that's why new voices have been able to use that hmm. fascinating yeah there's a window isn't there for sure exactly, exactly. i mean even on the algorithm side there's a definite window and then you see anything with publishing isn't it like games a great example electronic games um you know lots and lots of cottage industry publishers and then it consolidates don't you, you get exactly the big, yeah because it's control of distribution and so on yeah it's not okay. impossible later on but but it gets harder it's, it it's gets easier. harder yeah, yeah absolutely okay that's very interesting even with websites i mean if you had a website in the old mm-hmm. days you had traffic and now it's not mm-hmm. given is it it's hard okay and what, what do you think um, for all of us in this space then who all these sort of new voices, we can learn from journalism in terms of storytelling because 
I'll give you an example. I read recently a biography by um, Robert Fisk. He's a he's a war journalist who's like spent his life in the Middle East, proper you know like embedded not embedded sorry proper you know war journalist who would be there you know he was there in the Iran Iraq war everything you know front line um, just some amazing stories that he told very human and very touching and shocking uh, but nothing was avoided you know and it, even if you talked about the horrors of war it was all done in through human stories as well what, what do you think journalists learn and that anybody in podcast should really think about I mean, you, if you put your journalist hat on now mm. if you can and then like help us understand what is it that you learn at journalism school such a thing that mm. a podcaster should know about well i mean this will sound kind of elitist but some of the things that i think that help if you have a journalist background even in in you know in the written word if you're a magazine journalist or a newspaper journalist first of all you understand that you have to put in the work that's one of those things like you can't really just show up and press record and you know everything comes out perfectly on the first take like you realize that you gather material and then you work in the material and then the shape in which it's published is is one thing and it's different from the the material that you gathered like that's one thing I, I sort of see amateur podcasters often struggle with. And obviously, mm. because it takes time. It's not that it takes talent. It's more that it takes time. It is boring. It's way more fun to just, you know, show up and start talking with your mates. That's because that's fun. I mean, it's, it's fun to listen to myself here, mansplaining on, on various aspects. But then if you start to think about, like, what's the effect that I want this story to have on people? How do I tell it in a most the most efficient way? Then you have to sort of put in the thought work and the legwork as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's one thing. So you know, separating the end result from the material that you have, uh, and and another thing is also that at least the best journalists they they understand they hopefully at some point gather some understanding of what the audience thinks. So the struggle between delivering exactly what the audience wants that's basically journalists will say that we are independent and nobody else you know like nobody outside the newsroom gets to decide what we talk about so that's one thing sort of like the editorial decision making but once you've decided that this is the story i want to tell this is the sort of the payload that i want this story to deliver uh these are the people that i want to reach like how do you go about doing that like do you build do you build in cliffhangers? Do you what sort of things do you explain? Like where do you give where do you give more space to the people speaking? Like how often are you are you a part of the story? Like you can mm. be, you don't have to be in, in podcasting. There varies a lot. Like which person persona do you use when you're telling it? Uh, do you sort of step out of the way? Are you a focal focal point for the storytelling? But at least like you are aware of of those things. So. I guess that's sort of like not the most important thing, but like sort of a generalized skill that anyone who's done sort of factual storytelling in any medium could bring to mm. uh, podcasting. When you look at, for example, the, the vast majority of podcasts now, which are man speaks to man about man's story. Yes. Uh, that, that's okay. It's a start, isn't it? But when you see people doing that, um, what do you feel that could be improved in the sense that, Okay, that will be, you know, when we look back on websites, that was like 1998 mm. with the spinning GIFs and stuff. That's kind of how we started out. But then when we look back and say, actually, we needed to up our game because audiences have become more accustomed exactly. to high production values exactly. now and, and narratives and so on. 
when people start out doing that kind of content, what's sort of the next stage they should be reaching for? They, they don't necessarily need to be producing wondery style content, do they? Because that may be a different direction. But if, for example, it's man speaks to man, how do we make that better? Mm. Oh, I mean, well, first of all, I think it's important to separate your sort of intrinsic motivation and external motivation. So there's nothing wrong with creating whatever art you want to produce. So that's that's fine. Like, you know, I, I do a bunch of stuff that I expect nobody to listen to or read or, or watch, but and, that, and that's fine. As long as you don't sort of expect the external gratification, like everybody, you know, knocking on your door and saying that, oh, yeah, that was so great. And, you know, it's so wonderful that you did it. No, it should be pretty much all about yourself, that you get your kicks out of doing it. So that's one thing. So just, you know, separating the, the, the creation from the reception. Because maybe in that way, if that's all you want, if that's all you need, then mm. there's nothing wrong with the show you're doing and you can keep on doing it. But then if you, if you start to think about the sort of the evolutionary pressure that you mentioned, like let's say that we take whatever, the top 10 shows of whatever genre in whatever medium, be it, you know, yet again, like, you know, written stories or YouTubers or TikTokers, Instagram stars, whatever. Like, I'm pretty sure that the top 10 people in any market, in any medium, they will be like, they will just be good. Like, if you want to break into that top then 10, top 25, whatever tier, you got to up your game. So that's mm. why, basically, because people often say that, well, you see that there's there's this one show that sounds really scrappy and scruffy, and they have a million downloads. So, like, it doesn't really matter, but you're not that show. They started earlier, and also they've taken that niche, so it's really hard to get in there if all the others are sort of polished and well done. So that's where the pressure comes from. And so I'd say, yet again, that the next step that pretty often you might want to think about is, um, first of all, Think about your audience and think about your competitive advantages. So like, how are you not like the other shows? Uh, hmm. What can you do that the other shows, basically in your same genre, same same niche, what can't they do as well as you? Like, do you know something that they don't? Are you talented in some, re uh, some region? Um, like, can you get people on your show that the others can't get? Whatever. How do you stand apart from the crowd? So like when, you, when you're bored, uh, average listener takes out their phone and starts sort of idly thumbing through the directories and they see your show and, and, and some other show and some other show. Like how does your show stand apart? And it doesn't have to be that, you know, I, I have to get a huge reporting team and I ha have to spend a bunch of time. Maybe you can spend just a little bit of more time on your show, on, on in, basically in pre-production, in thinking about it, in post-production. And you can really get like huge, massive advantages from those. Uh, the return on investment can be big in the beginning mm. if like you're used to doing things in one way and then you just have to tweak a few parameters and, and you might get a lot of benefits from that. So that's like the one thing that I would start thinking about. How can you stand apart from the crowd and what it is that you can do better than others don't? Because it's, mm. it's a relative thing. It's not that you have to be the best like you don't have to be the best uh, cat expert in the world, but like if you're a better cat expert than the others in your you know pet podcasts genre, then you can maybe start building around that strength and, and sort of start differentiating from the crowd. Mm. Yeah, that's great advice. I, I, I feel that one of the areas, Oli, that people miss out on in differentiating themselves is building a narrative. So, you know, uh, if it seems to be that... It's kind of like driving a car. I know like people don't do that these days, but in the old days, people used to drive cars, right? They used to learn. Mm -hmm. And I think the first time you start driving a car, you're just trying to survive. <laughs> it's like you're not <laughs> thinking about what's on the right and the peripheries. You're just like, what does all this stuff do? 
Mm. And you've got the instructor there just kind of like making sure you don't kill anybody. So that's kind of like the beginning. You're just like, oh, you know, trying to take in all these things. And that to me is like when people start podcasting, it's just like, oh, okay, I need to kind of like record this thing, right? And speak mm. to this guy and record him as well. And then once you kind of like get over that sort of survival mode, it's like, okay, actually, how do I drive? How do I go there? How do I actually do this? Where, yes. you know, go where I want to go. And it's a bit like with podcasts, isn't it? Because people haven't thought that actually, I'm not just kind of reacting to every single episode. I need to create this narrative now and think about that. And there's doing that in the episode, like, okay, check out my last episode where we talked about cats and cat hotels. And like next week I'm speaking to Bob and he's going to give us, you know, his insights into cat psychology. So mm. it's kind of creating that, okay, I'm going to go and listen to that one now. Not many people do that. And I wonder if it's like they're not aware of it or maybe they're just not thinking about bigger narratives. And I thought that maybe a journalist type thing that you would think in those terms by default, surely. You got to build the skills first, the base level skills. It's really hard to concentrate on sort of higher level abstractions of like, what am I trying to achieve with this interview? Uh, what I'm trying to achieve with this episode? And, you know, what am I trying to do with the episodes that come out this spring? Unless you're sort of really pretty familiar and secure in your knowledge of how do you go about first of all how do you deal with all the technical stuff that it's required in podcasting it's not a lot but there's some and then if you have a chat chat cast and interview based show like you have to build your interviewing muscle like you can't really concentrate on the other things mm. before you are sort of automated that thing you, the, the whole you've got to learn how to walk before you can run thing and then the thing with podcast that it is a serial medium or not in the sense of being a show like Serial, but but I sometimes say it's one of my many nuggets of podcasting wisdom that I really have grown tired of myself because I just blurt them out whenever. But I do think that in many podcasts with many shows, the most important episode is the next one. Like instead of really concentrating on this episode that we're doing right now and polishing it to death and all that stuff, mm. there probably comes a break even point at which you got to say that, okay, it's well enough and we'll leave that one alone. And I'll direct my energies towards the next one. Because like, mm. I will only get so much return out of this episode anyway, in, in terms of like new audience and engagement and all that stuff. Like, obviously, you don't just basically don't do put in some work, do put in some effort, a lot of it, but enough of it. And then start thinking about the next episode. Because like, that's one of the things I suppose that you see with uh, with shows that fade out after a couple of episodes. Like people aren't thinking about how do I apply my... How do I how do I apply my strength and, and stamina in the longer run? Like, yeah, I got this great idea for an episode and I'll do that. And it was fun and I'll do the next one. And it's slightly late now, but I'll I'll squeeze it in. And like, you know, by the third episode, the intro will will sound like, yeah, uh, I know I'm a couple of weeks late, but uh, yeah. yeah, I've got stuff in the pipeline that's coming up. And it's sometimes it's inexperience. And there's obviously there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that if you have the mindset from the beginning or at, at some point, if you start thinking about it, at least semi-long term hmm. or maybe even even longer term than that, that probably leads to a better outcome from for you and the show and the audience. Yeah, you you start laying track for future episodes. You you know, you have a knowing callback every now and then. Uh, you cultivate the audience that that has been with you for a long time. You throw them some bones, you know, you have some insider jokes and stuff like that. But you still you're still thinking that this episode, like whatever episode we're doing right now, this could be the first episode that a new person hears. So like there has to be a way in for new listeners, but you're still keeping the old people there. And yeah, and I, I think that it 
I mean, I think it really helps to, to think about podcast in terms of seasons or, or series. Um, like, it's not like, it doesn't seem like a dispiriting idea that, oh, shit, I have to turn out 10 episodes. It's more like, okay, so what's the sustainable way for me to do 10 mm. episodes now and 10 episodes later and, and 10 episodes, so on and so on. It's not like that old joke they say about TV shows where if you went into a Hollywood studio's office and you pitched a TV show and then the network executive would ask you that, great, so what's the story in the 100th episode? Because they wanted a really, really long-running series. And that could seem like, you know, oh, bloody heck, I got to come up with an idea that will last forever, like a zombie idea. But I don't think that a podcast has to be that way. Like, I don't mm. think that you have to milk it dry. I Like most many long running series, they're still really good. They've gotten better. Uh, maybe there are dips every now and then. But I think that the creators are probably thinking about them long term. And mm. that's what keeps them fresh as well. Awesome advice. You've been listening to The Age of Audio with me, Graham Brown, from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. To get access to all the audio conversations and book content for The Age of Audio, go to www.theageofaudio.com. One more time, theageofaudio.com.